0: Hello and welcome to Pop Up Submissions Live. We've got (laughs) robo shagging on today's show. We've got how you can build your writing confidence on today's show. Uh, We've even got non disclosure agreements as they relate to British Prime Ministers allegedly shagging dead pigs on today's show. But most importantly, we've got Ros Morris. Oh, yes, writer's muse coach and author herself. Um, together with TV journalist Andy Dickinson. Fabulous lineup this week. I'm expecting great things indeed. Uh, before we kick off, please let me remind you of The Seven Husbands of Evelyn, or is that Evelyn? I don't know. You can discuss that. Hugo by Taylor Jenkins Reid is the selection for this month's Litopia Book Club. Find out more at club dot litopia.com. and this month's craft chat is in full swing at the moment uh, let me tell you about that that's the topic you can see there some tricks and tips to help you explore your creativity or maybe break a of writer's block craft chat closes on tuesday so do it now Meanwhile, we'll get straight on with our first submission today. It's called Trust No Spy. It's a martini, this is the genre, it's a great genre, isn't it? There's a martini flavoured spy, spy thriller slash grounded steampunk. Grounded steampunk. That's interesting. It's very interesting because we just happen to have another submission today that's saying exactly the same genre. And it's from John. Uh, There's a QR code there, so if you want to scan that and go to John's website, please do tell me what you find. Meanwhile, I'm going to read you John's blurb. When a lost relic with cataclysmic power appears on the black market, the self-proclaimed survivors of the flood want to secure it for their ultimate goal, taking back the Earth. Charles Ruskin and Rebecca Cassili, two spies from hostile countries, team up. To stop them but it's a shaky alliance the relic is the grand prize for all spies and as ruskin and cassidi face their common enemy in a relentless chase across europe they're ready to double cross each other to seize the prize all right. that sounds interesting do you like is it your kind of thing it's my kind of thing i like it uh, i'll tell you about john my favorite vacation spot says john is lake constance not only is it one of the few places where you can fly in an airship, that sounds brilliant, but seeing them cruise above the lake with the Alps in the background, how lovely, uh, uh, invokes dreams of a future that never was. That would be the steampunk future, of course. It was a sight that spoke to me. More specifically, at last, from MacGuffin and two ruthless spies to create mayhem. Back in my youth, I sold a spec screenplay, never got produced, and I concentrated on a career as a nerd in IT startups. So you're pretty flush, I would imagine. Uh, this time, I decided to write a novel. So if needed, I can bypass gatekeepers and self-publish. A lot of people are doing that. I have finished a rough draft, and as I work to get it to the next stage, I'd appreciate some feedback. Well, you're definitely going to get that, but before that, you're going to get a fabulous
1: reading from John. Trust No Spy. Written by John. Read by John. 1. Charles Ruskin stepped out of the vestibule of the casino Milano and looked around for a staff member to bribe, threaten or seduce. Someone to guide him through the corridors behind the gambling salon lead him past rows of closed doors and point out the one the employees had been forbidden to open. A shout shattered the hushed elegance. Ruskin? The man swaggering up to him was bald and muscular and began talking five steps away. My name's George Cook. The codename proved he was a messenger from the embassy. Your office sent a letter. They say return without any delay. The key word was any. Without delay would have given him leeway. Any meant get going no matter how bloody close you are to completing a mission. I'll take him to the airport and there's just enough time to put you on the last airship to London." Ruskin turned away from the man who was walloping in second-hand authority. Was the lead that had brought him to the casino solid enough to ignore a direct order? Across the vestibule a man dressed in a black suit passed through the swing door to the salon. He carried a paper bag imprinted with a logo made up of frilly letters. Ruskin made out S, I, G and N. And then the door swung shut. What are you waiting for? Not only did the man dressed as an undertaker seem to corroborate the lead, but he might unwittingly serve as a guide. Ruskin needed a closer look at the bag to be sure. Come on, or I'll report you. People turned to stare. Ruskin leaned in close to the messenger. Go back and report this. It is important. You're unsuited for clean this time work and must never again be used in an operation run by the hounds. He crossed the room and pushed the door to the salon open, got hit by a clamour of voices and dived into the smell of pomade and perfume. Beneath the candle chandeliers, the undertaker's suit navigated the sea of tailcoats and evening gowns. He got slowed down by gamblers jostling to place chips on a roulette table large enough to encircle a pool. Ruskin drew closer as a mechanical mermaid rose from the pool's water. She opened a seashell and revealed the number nine set in red pearls. A chorus of sighs and cheers broke out. Ruskin reached a spot that would give him a clear view of the bag, but the undertaker shifted to his left and elbowed his way through the crowd. Ruskin mumbled, Rat bag. Lost that one, did you? A man with a silly grin glared at him. Ruskin wiped the grin away with a look and made his way towards the black suit. The undertaker was hurrying along a diorama where volcanoes erupted with roaring gas flames. Ruskin followed, pretending to concentrate on a model of a passenger balloon floating above the landscape. Gamblers called out bets on whether it would land safely or perish in a volcano. He closed in on the undertaker and read the full text on the bag, Signorina Elegante. Perfect. If he could trail the man, he could complete the mission. He followed the undertaker past two samurais standing in front of a Japanese temple. The back of one of the warriors stood open. Two technicians stirred a bewildering mass of springs and cogwheels. The undertaker slipped into an opening between the temple and the back wall of the room. Ruskin strolled past, glancing through the opening into a narrow passageway. Ten feet down, a door closed with an annoying clank of an automatic lock. He turned and strode to the door, pulling his watch from his waistcoat pocket and pressing four times on the crown. A metal rod with teeth swung out from the side of the watch. He inserted the rod into the lock and manipulated the crown till there came a satisfying clunk. He cracked the door open. Far below, Tram snaked through the gas-lit streets of Milan. Faint light from the neighboring skyscrapers showed the Undertaker hunched against the driving rain, crossing a bridge leading to the upper story of a tower. Above the tower hovered an oblong shadow, a blimp moored to the spire.
0: Thank you very much, Johnny. Great reading got us off to a good start. Let me uh, try to update you uh, about the ever-changing nature of the Junior Stream. Uh, Annie uh, kicks the proceedings off, saying, "Solid blurb." And L.A. Thomas is quick to uh, echo that. Actually, great blurb. Ah, good. You've got four marks of the blurb there. Uh, Pamela Joe's Steampunk, well, defining Steampunk, is a sort of alternative history where the Industrial Revolution ended with steam instead of diesel engines. Nicely, nicely expressed, actually. Yeah, very good. I'm partial to airships and balloons, says Johnny. And Pamela Joe goes on to say Lake Constance is gorgeous. I've never seen it myself. Helium ships are the future, according to, to many. James blurb's got the elements and lex steampunk is one of my favorite things and this sounds like a great story to go with it so everyone's absolutely on your side right at the beginning as far as the title and the blurb is concerned loves the second-hand authority johnny carol says nice title relates well to the blurb martini flavored yeah i think that's all right i think we can say that um description's done well says uh, pj characterization is good but i'm not yet hooked I need more story. Nice turns of phrase, says Johnny. I'm struggling to follow this, says Claire. So first, really negative comment. Unfortunately, followed by Matt saying, "I'm confused." Setups here, says James. Payoff coming. Uh, Martin, there's a bit of regimented rhythm going on. Oh, interesting. I didn't, I didn't pick that up. Martin would do. Um, Who was Ruskin? Says Carol. Should I care? Hmm. It's a good question. I'll root for him. Great first line, good first paragraph. And Matt says, I think there's a bit of throat clearing going on, and that would not be literally referring to me. It would actually be metaphorical. <laughs> I'm referring to you, actually, John. Um, love the opening line, says Lex. Gave a setting and a solid sense of the character in a nutshell. Also great set, set dressing here. Love the reveal that the samurai were robots needing repairs. Bravo! Um, and then Carol keeps on saying this. What is Ruskin feeling? Emotions, please um carol concludes by saying some nice lines ruskin wipe the grin away with a look okay we need to go to our specialist Roz, first impressions yeah.
2: first impressions um there you are know, lots of things that i agree with from the from the genius room i i was getting a bit lost um I I thought there were some good elements to it. Um, I like the opening paragraph where we've got a character who thinks, I can get my way into anything even if I shouldn't be here, which is good. It seemed to lose that impetus a little bit, I felt. Um, We seemed to then go into a lot of excuses for description, and although there were some really good elements, I love the mechanical mermaid, the fact that that was being made into a roulette kind of game, and yeah. I loved the mechanical samurai, all that. That's, that's the, the real steampunk elements that readers will love. Um, I didn't have enough sense of purpose. It made me think of the beginning of um, some of Ian Fleming's Bond novels, and I know uh. this is going back a very long way, but they are beautifully written, and they often start with Bond in a situation where you have a real sense of purpose, what he's doing, how he feels, and that's what some of the, the genius room said as well. And that that's what I, I was missing a bit. I was thinking, um, where are we in the quest that's going on? There wasn't enough of a strong sense of something happening, while the the world is being set up for us.
0: Yes, yes. I think I think we've um, hit a nerve there. PC Frontier says, some good writing, setting the scene, entering casino. Sounds more like James Bond than steampunk. Well, of course, it's supposed to be a mixture, isn't it? Um, could do a bit of Actually. action, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Maybe someone preventing the hero's progress, perhaps. And Carol says, I'm confused. Spies and undertakers, casinos, dioramas, gaslights on streets, far below what? Skyscrapers and trams and blimps atop spas. <gasps> when and where is this? Well, it's it's in the steampunk universe, isn't it? And Johnny really um, echoes Absolutely, okay. As what uh, PC said, very Bondy. More airships, please. So it's a question of getting the balance right. I'm wondering if you're interested in steampunk, Andy.
3: Joe, you know I'm not a massive steampunk fan, but but James Bond does steampunk. That does work for me as a concept. I think that's quite fun. For me, sadly, you know, as soon as you mentioned steampunk, uh, uh, you know, uh, airships with steampunk, that, that's sort of me. That, that's the whole thing, isn't it? It's just air, yes. It's airships. Yes, <laughs> <It's> actually. <laughs> You know, yes it doesn't, it doesn't really float my boat but and I have to say off, on the off I think uh this this is a sort of nightmare submissions for, for pop-ups because you've got so much going on in here and we yeah. want to make commentary and get a sense of it and get the gist of it but trying to do those things at the same time when you've got samurais flying in from everywhere and mermaids and, and James Bond and what have you is really quite tricky so forgive me if I didn't get the gist of it But I thought your opening sentence was good. There was a nice air of sort of smart flippancy in it. Um, But by the time you got down to walloping in secondhand authority, I felt a bit lost. I think some of your smart prose and your descriptions was just getting in the way of me picking up the thread of what your story actually was. There was some nice stuff in there, like, you know, wiped wiped the the grin away with a look. You it's really, really smart, just little bits like that I thought was good. I like the idea of the hounds. I'm reading the um, Slough House novels at the moment, and they call the spies the dogs, um, which is quite cute. But, yeah, overall, it was just a bit too much for me, and I was a little bit confused.
0: Yeah. So um, the uh, Genius Room has now uh, sort of devolved into doing uh, puns, on uh, the idea of mm-hmm. steam and so running out of steam and stuff like that. So maybe that's not great, actually. Um, Claire says there was good craft here. I think there was too, uh, but it felt overcomplicated. Hmm. That's a problem with steampunk though, isn't it? Actually, I mean, you've, you've got a lot to explain really. And I'm going to ask you. Um, I don't both. think yeah, go you got a
2: lot to explain. I think you can drop the explanations in as you go, like with any setting. Um, yeah. But- readers do tend to choose settings that they like and they don't mind if you put a little bit in and then get on the story and then add a little bit more and you can spread it out more you don't have to yeah. get it all in at once uh, but i think i think this needed a bit more purpose oh by the way i'm trying to vote and it's not accepting my vote
0: <laughs> it's not accepting your vote we'll sort that out what's what's it saying to you uh,
2: there's a problem with your submission please review the fields below i God. have i've put i've something in everything and it's mm. still not letting right. me
0: all right, well, this is one of the great things about doing it live, of course. I'll tell you what, Hold everything, guys, when we uh, saw this out, because it's extremely important, extremely important. Um, just for this one, um, let, give me, um, give me the, uh, the, the stars that you would uh, give for the title, and I'll do this manually.
2: Well, this will be horrible because <laughs> i don't think I it works it. that well yet okay, okay. title two, two blurb two, two craft three, three bang one one it, <gasps> this doesn't mean it's, it doesn't mean it's, it's not working as it should yet but yeah. there's loads you could do
0: well, there's loads you can do all right that's that's somewhat encouraging um the thing i'm i just want to ask both of you please about this 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 thing right because i i think this i do actually quite like steampunk and I, I think it's easy genre to get into. Actually, you know, you can just read a little bit of Steampunk and you drift away again, come back again if you want to. It doesn't. You don't have to sign up for you know a fifty years membership in the Foreign Legion. I think that half of the appeal of Steampunk is just the atmosphere. It's just it's just the world. It's such a powerful atmospheric world to you know to live in in your head. And I think that's. That's partly what I think uh, John is is trying to do here. He's trying to establish, you know, some of the dimensions of the exciting universe and and make us go, wow, I want to hang around in this for a bit. But he's also got to get the character in and some story in and the whole thing. What would you advise him to do?
2: I think that relic should be um used a bit more um because reddicks are great in this kind of novel um so is there some way that it could be brought in um i know this is the first scene you don't necessarily have to rush everything in Mm -hmm. fast but if you can intrigue about this and get to that faster that might be a good avenue Um,
0: very good idea johnny agrees with me how nice uh balloons blimps and punks very good. No, so the answer is the appeal. But it has to have the arc in place. Or all steampunk begins the same. Yes. Another good observation. Let's look at your numbers there, John. You got a fifty-seven, which is a good start. It's a good start for the show. Um, but you've got a few negatives there as well, which hopefully I and mean, this is the whole point really about having you know the genius room giving their opinion to you live on air. As no one sees this in advance apart from me, of course, and our narrators so what you're getting really is live sentiment analysis just straight back to the genius room in case they have said anything else um you're getting live sentiment analysis and that's no bad thing should we squeeze another one in before we uh, have a, have a chat with our two fabulous guests today about all kinds of interesting things actually this is called wild light it's fantasy it's from jasmine this is jasmine's blurb izzy is on an unconventional path to redemption by robbing nobles on the road when a silver-tongued stranger ruins her heist. He invites her to join him on his quest for the Evanescence. But she has other plans. She's going to steal it for herself. She believes the ancient stone will transform her visceral impulses from wicked to virtuous without it, her life will spiral into chaos and not the kind she craves. Unknown foes plot against her and she must reveal her true identity to survive. Oh, wrong. Good fantasy, isn't it? Let me tell you about it. Oh, awful. Um, I'm in my twenties and live full-time in a camper with my husband, one-year-old daughter and two large doodle dogs. It's gotta be a large camper. I work as a travelling ultrasonographer. I love that. There's a book in that already, isn't there? I I work as a travelling ultrasonographer and explore the United States three months at a time. How fabulous that is. Even more fabulous, of course, will will be this reading from Ali.
4: Wild Light by Jasmine. Red Barlesson. Chapter One. Deep within the ancient forest, high in an oak tree, the wind was unavoidable. Izzy knew that, but it didn't make her any less annoyed as she tucked stray raven hair back behind her ear. Arrow knocked. Her anticipation grew, seeping into her skin like the dew that clung to the mossy branch as the carriage lurched around the corner. Two white stallions led the immaculate, sterling-studded coach. She recognised the silver emblem on the front of the horse's chests to be the symbol of Lord Atheridge. Two snakes coiled around a silver coin, the perfect representation for the treasurer of the crown's gold. She smirked, relishing what she was about to do. She was certain he had been skimming from the destitute people of Nadella for years. It was only fair he returned a fragment of what he had taken. Not that justice truly mattered to her either way. It was the chaos that drew her in, like the moon pulling the tide, the irresistible need to break the still and watch it ripple. The breeze shook the leaves closer to her head, but she ignored them. She was entranced by the soft teeter of the iron wheels against the coarse gravel road as the carriage passed beneath her branch. A traveller on foot approached the coachman and Izzy's spine stiffened. Anger coursed through her veins and stoked her internal darkness. She should shoot him where he stood to get him out of her way. She clenched her fist around the bow and took him in her sights. Her finger twitched, reverberating the string against her cheek. But her sister's face floated to her mind, and she released a hot breath, relaxing her arms. He was innocent. She wouldn't kill him for being in the wrong place at the wrong time. As he took in his stiff posture, the proud jut of his chin, the almost smirk on his lips, like he knew something no one else did. She suspected it was vexing him to ask another man for directions. The stallions hid most of the man's face, but she could practically feel his discontent. Strong arms, battered with pale scars, were held at his sides, whispering tales of sin and destruction. His broad shoulders were tense, knees slightly bent, and he looked as if he was barely breathing. His hand twitched, almost like he was about to. The stranger held a dagger to the coachman's throat and Izzy raised her bow in the same breath. Blood roared in her ears. This man was dangerous, and he was taking her prize. She should have taken the shot when she had the chance. Give me your coin. The voice was dark chocolate dipped in honey, rich and deceptively sweet. A shiver coursed through her, the inexplicable heat in her cheeks, fueling her internal rage. She swallowed a snarl as he moved away from the horses, enough for her to catch a glimpse of his face. He had hair that was either light brown or dark blonde. She couldn't quite decide from her position in the tree. Strong cheekbones, square jawline and sharp brows. He was beautiful. Izzy distrusted him even more. Do it! The coachman beseeched the carriage, his pants darkened at the apex of his thighs. The stranger grimaced most likely feeling the coachman's warmth travel down his own front as the hostess pressed his back against him. Izzy smirked. Let him go and move away, you fiend! Do you have any idea whose carriage you are threatening? A deep voice bellowed from inside the coach. Why don't you come out here and tell me? The honeyed voice coaxed. Two men in shining uniforms with silver snakes stitched to their chests emerged from the carriage and the stranger's eyes gleamed. The two guards drew their swords and flanked him on both sides. He threw the coachman down and parried the oncoming jab from the guard on his left while ducking from the blow to his right. Two against one, gentlemen, that's hardly fair. In two moves, he disarmed them both. For you, it's hardly fair for you. Now, give me your coin before I'm late for breakfast.
0: Thank you, highway person, Ali. <laughs> Quite sinister reading, wasn't it? Hey, gosh, you've really got a character there. Uh, let's go straight to the genius room. And I think, uh, once again, actually, very favourably disposed to uh, to what's going on. Uh, Carol says, nice, sign, new title. Eli says, blurb's a bit messy. James likes the title. Lex says, fantasy, check. Anti-hero protagonist, check. Hints of playing with common tropes and maybe a bit of humour, check. Let's go. So you've got Lex behind you, which is always a good sign. Tighten the blurb a wee bit, says James. Um, Eva likes the title. She doesn't always, but um, uh, you've passed the Eva test on that. Uh, Annie says same vibes as the first one with betraying for the MacGuffin. And that's, I I, I got those vibes too. That's very interesting. Claire, I'm not sure wanting her visceral impulses to be more virtuous is high enough stakes. (sighs) Yes. Do I want to be a good person badly enough? Uh, Pamela Joe, I personally didn't like being hit with an unknown evanescence. Give me ancient stones first, if that's what it is. Uh, Matt says, opening works, We're getting stories, sense of the world. Pamela Joe agrees with Carol. Might not be a perfectly happy highway woman unless there's a reason for needing to be more virtuous. It doesn't work. Okay, that's interesting. That's interesting. Might have spotted a flaw there. Martin says, an engaging character in a well drawn world. Good. Nice descriptions of Carol could be refined and polished to be even more effective. And Martin goes on to say, it's, is it going to give us something different, though? Bit tropey so far. James says, I get the world, but story needs more oomph. And Johnny says, it's workmanlike, but not grabbing me a tad generic. Um, the coachman's warmth, says Carol. P? Oh, I, I think it was. Oh, yeah, I assumed it was. I assume it is. Is that supposed to be the funny bit? L.A. just loves the writing. Yeah. Guards inside. carriage seems slow to get out, says Carol. Maybe they're fat. I don't know. Matt says, we jumped into the story of the second robber. Not sure what the point of robber number one was by the end. And Martin says, literally, hi, woman. Your submission or your life. I love it. Your submission or your life. What did you think there, Andy?
3: Uh, yeah, I quite liked it. Um, kind of like the title. Kind of like the blow. I like that idea, transformed from wicked to virtuous. And you're giving us a reason straight in when we get in the text and the comparisons to the sister, I was wondering from the blurb whether we were going to get, and I always mention this book on the show, but uh, The Princess Bride, because I Um, love that book so much. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is such a high benchmark for this kind of fiction. And I sort of think we got some of that. I think what we were really lacking was jokes, to be honest. Um, The opening Line is deep within the ancient forest, so you're not doing anything new there. But what I would say is by the end of, like the second paragraph we all knew exactly where we were yeah. exactly who we were with and exactly where we we're going so well done with that i would then move on more, more quickly with the action um maybe just go straight to the traveler from there and and it did feel like she had this this arrow knocked by her ear for an awful long time yes. before <laughs> her, or maybe of, Yeah, shot her you know shot aerobics her, or something or something Um, but yeah generally i liked it i thought it was quite nicely done i was just missing a bit of humor
0: got it fantastic all right
2: yes i really liked it it flowed beautifully it it was really elegant to read and um the 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 way she could elegantly describe things that were were perhaps a a little putrid was uh, was very enjoyable um i i thought to the the First, um, Robber wasn't really needed. We could get straight to the second one. But I like the way things were changing all the time. Um, you know, it's it's not what the the viewpoint character expects. It's uh, There's a sort of bit of swagger and humour. Um, I felt the blurb actually could have talked a bit more about the, the kind of hole in the character because mm-hmm. at the moment the blurb makes the character just look like, oh, I'm just going to be a, a sort of um nihilistic teenager for uh, ages and then yeah. maybe i'll decide to, to be good but if you had uh, something about the hole that she has in her you know if if a character has a hole in them that's incredibly mm-hmm. attractive and works very well for this kind of novel
0: got it okay do we still have a, a voting issue
2: yes we do we do have <laughs> so you tried let refreshing me you.
0: page. Try, try refreshing the page I otherwise not, i will give you a bespoke that. service if that's what's yeah. necessary Let's just try a quick Uh, page refresh and see if it's going to take it this time. I've
2: refreshed. Let's try. Yeah. No, it's still a problem. Okay. Title four. Four. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, Blurb three. Three. Going down. Uh, Craft five.
0: Craft five. Wow, that's bang. good. That's, from Ross, from that's four. good. Yeah? yeah, And bang four. Oh, I think, <laughs> yeah. I think we've got some good numbers going on here. So 4354, just want to double-check. Is that showing correctly yeah. on the screen there, Roz? Yeah, look at that. That's yeah. good voting. That's good voting. Let's look at the overall numbers. You've got a 69. You're storming into the lead there, Jasmine. Um, not only the winner so far, although we only had two submissions, of course, um, but the winner so far this month, because this is, of course, the first show of the month. Good, all right. Um, hopefully you're, you're pleased with that. From my point of view, I just needed a more compelling hook. If, I, if I'm going to sell this, <clears throat> I mean, you might you might go the self-publishing route. Well, why not? And, you know, many people do. But um, if you want to go the traditional route, I just need more more of a compelling hook, actually. I just need, <clears throat> need it to be sufficiently different so I can... I always say, you know, what am I going to say if I pick the phone up or get on the Zoom to somebody... And so I've got this amazing new manuscript by Jasmine, and it's um what do I say what's what's the what's the what's the thing there? give me give me my script and it's not quite strong enough for me there, but I, what what might work actually actually there might be what's your passion, your own personal passion? why are you writing this? Why have you spent a significant amount of your life writing this? and I just need that to come through a bit more. And then um, I think you could be away. Um, i tell you what we ought to do now. We ought to talk about Roz and her latest and possibly greatest enterprise. Because uh, it's incredibly timely. Look, it's all Ros Morris. Well, all total Ros Morris. You, you might even call it the Ros Morris show from this moment onwards. I don't know. Um, you've got a new course going on. What, what's that about, uh, Ros? Tell us about it. It's a professional
2: course um, for People who want to become ghostwriters, because oh, okay. um, I—that was one of the first um, pieces. Of commercial writing that I did, I, I yeah. was writing novels for other people, yeah. and um, I've done a lot of helping people to get a manuscript to uh, publishable level, and sometimes that involves rewriting it, and yeah. um, to a greater Plans. or lesser extent. And people are always asking me how to get into ghostwriting, what it consists of, and so I thought, well, I'll make a course. Well, not charge for it, eh? all yes. <laughs>
5: absolutely, make some money.
0: I'm an agent, man. Come on. Okay, so that's. That's your new course, and that's great. And uh, presumably, I mean, you've got a lot of different websites, actually. It's what, what I'm suggesting, and I'm hopefully there's a link that people can just go to, rosmarge.org because that's you, right?
2: Yep, that's is- me. Um, the better place to find out about my ghostwriting course is to go to my blog, which is nailyournovel.com, oh, okay. and you'll find a tab there that says yeah. Courses.
0: Okay, oh dear, oh dear. Well, all right, so let's get this, this daisy <laughs> chain, this breadcrumb thing going. All right, so if people go to rosmorris.org, can they then go to nailyournovel.something?
4: Yes, is they'll a see there a, a site saying blog.
0: Okay, got it. Fine. Yeah, there's okay. a link
2: through. There are loads of links all over it. Look for blog and Excellent. you'll
0: find okay. it. Okay, right, so ghostwriting just couldn't be more uh, contemporary and in the news at the moment. I don't. Did you do this on purpose? Mm-hmm
2: um it's something that actually I, I did a few years ago but it's it's an evergreen topic uh people okay. are always asking me about it there's always a need for it it's been done since time immemorial it's it's not new it wasn't new with harry um no it might wasn't oh, well, i'm thinking
0: what i'm thinking about i better tell everyone what i'm thinking about because um it's just a uk thing really <clears throat> and we've got lots of uh, viewers in other parts of the world who will never have heard of lucky you uh matt hancock mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, so Matt Hancock is is uh, a benighted person, is he not? Really, uh, he used to be the health secretary um, during our our experience of, of COVID and the pandemic and stuff. And he cooperated, he collaborated with the ghostwriter. writers. Not not so much a ghost now, actually. Uh, probably uh, equally famous, even possibly more so than uh, than Matt. Called Isabel Oakeshott, um, and they produced this. I don't know how well it did actually. I mean, usually politicians' diaries don't do very well. Actually, just a thousand or two copies, mostly to other politicians. But they can't operate on this thing called the pandemic diaries. Um, and she obviously had enormous of access, enormous amounts of access to his research, and about ten thousand WhatsApp messages that have now been released to the Daily Telegraph. And um, to uh, uh, very interesting, actually, extremely revealing, was what, you know, what, what was going on during that time in government. Uh, nobody comes out of it particularly well. And, of course, the ghostwriter, or the collaborator, or whatever she calls herself, has actually been heavily criticised by lots of media for effectively, I suppose, breaking the NDA, if indeed there was one. I'm not sure there was an NDA. Um, for example, this piece I'll just play very quickly on Times Radio uh, just a day or two ago.
1: What I want to
5: ask you, Isabel, is here we, here we are, that you ripped up an NDA to dump right. Matt Hancock in it. You dumped I didn't Vicky have... Price in it. Wait, let me finish. She ended up going to prison on the back of correspondence with you about speeding points. You based an unsubstantiated allegation that a former prime minister engaged in a sex act with a dead pig on a single source. You also published text messages and emails with the Leave.eu founder, Aaron Banks, which were shared with you privately. What I want to ask you, Isabel, is how can any source trust you again? Well, Isabel Oakshot, I'm afraid, has terminated that interview, but uh, we will now...
0: How embarrassing for any presenter, actually. I thought, I thought Catherine Newman did extremely well keeping a straight face when she said sex acts with a dead pig and British prime minister. But what I want to ask ask you, Roz, is what do you think of all this? Because normally ghostwriters are sort of, they carry their secrets to the grave, don't they?
2: Yeah, they do. Um, Sometimes there's an NDA, and sometimes there's just your sense of personal discretion. I mean, if you want to carry on working... As a ghostwriter, your subjects or clients have to be confident that they can tell you things. And so, I mean, the relationship you strike up with the person you're ghosting can be very rewarding. And they often tell you sort of really quite intimate things. And you have to then figure out how you'll handle that information. So, But maybe maybe that ghostwriter just decided she'd had enough and she'd rather go and write her own books. And so does it matter?
3: I don't know. Do you think it matters, Andy? Oh, yeah, I do think it matters, yeah. And I, I mean, I don't think anyone comes out of this well, I have to say. Mm. Um, that, that was my, my main overriding view of it. Um, but, I mean, I think as a journalist, we're often struggling to fight the perception that we are trustworthy, that we have some integrity. So when other journalists show, you know, and, 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 like, and I do agree that she might feel that she had good reason for it, um, but you know, th- but show a lack of that integrity or tr- trustworthiness, then that that affects badly on the rest of us. And at a time when we are battling so hard over you know whether truth can exist and in what form and who yeah. can be trusted and how, yeah. then that this, this this ultimately the whole the whole farce of it just yeah. just just you know degrades that. Well,
0: because that's that's actually what Catherine Newman was saying. She's saying, "How can anyone ever trust you again?" But what what Isabel was saying i think i think she has some reason on her side that she said she's it was public interest you know i thought people really really needed to know and
3: that is yeah, that, is that not so far, and and as a journalist we love the public interest defense because you know we we get to to write and, and produce a lot of work on the back of it and as we should and we'd all defend that quite rapidly but there's a difference between public interest defense and signing a non-disclosure agreement and then just basically just you
0: know, yeah. pissing on it, driving on a coach and horses, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Any final thoughts, Roz?
2: Well, really, it's got to be a question of what you yourself are happy with. Um, yeah. If you, I mean, I wouldn't feel happy about breaching yeah. confidentiality. Yeah. And I, I even if, even it's, if,
0: it's, it's like it's like the you know the classic dilemma that priests face, isn't it? Somebody tells you something in the confessional. And it kind of, you know, it's, it's world-changing, <laughs> world-shattering, possibly highly illegal. I mean, what are you going to do?
2: Fortunately, I write fiction as well. Oh, as right. Like, fiction think exactly. So, uh, yes, you can, there's always, if you feel the urge to use something, you yeah. can't, it can't, won't stay quiet in your soul. You have yeah. other avenues to there use it without harming anybody i mean i Visualize think the relationship it, yeah. the working relationship that you have with someone when you ghost with them is yeah. is just
3: it's like a friendship yeah, yeah also, also just have to question in this example you know is it earth-shattering are these earth-shattering revelations and i, I just have to oh, argue yeah. no i don't think they are to be honest they're pretty tawdry mm. and the sort of things we expected to hear, it so. is really
0: isn't it? it just confirms what we thought yeah fascinating discussion thank you very much guys <laughs> And here we are. Submission number three. Look at this for a title. Does this particularly fancy? Personal Literary Companion. Do you like that title? Is it unusual, distinctive and different? I think it is. It's speculative fiction. It's from Margaret. And this is Margaret's blurb. In this frame novel. A frame novel. Ooh, I do think hard about that. Frame novel is um, something. It's a container, isn't it, really? It's a container that contains other things. Really? Canterbury Tales, sort of thing. In this frame novel, reviewing a raunchy manuscript about an American woman's adventurous sex life causes a literary consultant to reconsider hers. In the manuscript, a couple resort to realistic robotics to fulfill their fantasy of a threesome. The story explores the implications for relationships and society when humanoid AI becomes indistinguishable from ourselves. In the outer narrative, the consultant identifies with the inner story and finds herself attracted to its author. Who is ChatGPT? No, it's not. I, I don't know. <laughs> it could be.
1: It could be. Oh
0: God! Uh, let me tell you about Margaret. I'm interested in futurology, and I think that the topic of uh, lifelike humanoid AI can be both titillating and thought-provoking. Such creations are probably now only a few years away and society is poorly prepared for the potential consequences. Recent novels like Ian McEwan's Machines Like Me or Ishiguro's Clara and the Sun, a film a few years ago, Ex Machina, makes me think of that, Uh, touched on the topic but didn't fully explore the prospect of lifelike AI supplanting human relationships. This is my first manuscript following a career as a partner in a London law firm in that case, I've done very well with partners and law firms, I have to say, actually. Uh, In that case, we're going to give you a fabulous reading. It really is from Bev.
5: Personal Literary Companion by Margaret Bargate, read by Bev. Three desks, three computers and three women. Two criminally neglected rubber plants and lots and lots of paper. Welcome to my world. Weekdays, anyhow. Josie started at Llewellyn and Wade's London office two years before me, but she makes it sound like a lot longer. Those two years, and of course her MPhil in Anglo-Saxon, Norse and Celtic from Cambridge, have qualified her to be my boss since I joined. Oh, and Josie also happens to be the MD's daughter. For the record, I reckon that my Red Brick Psychology degree has taught me just as much about books as Viking sagas can. Whilst other areas of the publishing industry might slow down at certain times of year, there's no let-up at our literary consultancy, and a creative avalanche constantly clogs our inboxes. Late spring is always busy for us, I suspect because the hopeful spend the Christmas break feeling that they have a book inside them. Luckily for us, I suppose, some decide that these would-be works should be allowed out, and a few months after the New Year's resolutions have been made, their half-baked manuscripts start to appear, lambs to the slaughter. Josie spins round in her chair. For added gravitas, she stands to her full five-foot-and-a-tea-leaf and and tries to shake the brown ringlets away from her face. Who fancies some nice genre-busting speculative fiction? She glances between me and Lydia. She wants advice on genre, whether the concept has commercial potential and whether the sex scenes are about right. Her words, not mine. Lydia turns her head from the screen and peers over her cat-eye framed glasses. Presumably genre and busting are her words too. Indeed, Josie smirks. She clearly doesn't have a clue what genres it might bust. But it sounds quite intriguing. A Californian couple buy a realistic robot to explore their sexual boundaries. J'vonne? Let me guess, I say. She's a stereotypically hot female robot? Don't think she says, Josie reads from her screen. When Ava and Liam realise that selecting a suitable bedfellow for a threesome is not so easy, Ava buys a designer intimate companion to solve their dilemma. With beguiling looks and personality their new robot appears to be the perfect partner both in and out of the bedroom not sci-fi i protest where's the speculative she says robotic companions are already here as are the voices opposing them so the novel explores the implications for human relationships as these creations become almost indistinguishable from ourselves when they cross Uncanny Valley. It's called Crossing the Valley. Okay, so hopefully it's not all robo-shagging then. What's Uncanny Valley though? Probably in an attempt to show enough enthusiasm to appear helpful, but not so much as to suggest acceptance of the manuscript review, Lydia pushes the bridge of her glasses back against her nose and reads verbatim from the internet. The uncanny or eerie sensation humans feel when encountering humanoid robots, which are only slightly similar to real humans, whereas robots that closely resemble humans evoke more positive emotions, and so could be said to have crossed that valley. Is she some AI specialist or something? I am intrigued enough to ask. ''Don't think so,'' says Josie. ''Kimberly Banyas. She's a banker. Sounds American. 80,000 words. Send it over.'' As is our wont, I speak with a tone of resignation. To be fair to Josie, however, both Lydia and I are tacitly grateful to her for allowing us these brief moments to delude ourselves that we have any real say in the matter. Curiosity compels me to open the document.'' As a literary consultant with aspirations to fully-fledged agenthood, one is always hoping to find that red gem glinting and winking at you from your screen. In three years, I found two, which, they say, is two more than most in that time. The pats on the back were welcome, but cold comfort when I handed them over to another agent. After several years in the job, I can usually spot a non-starter a few pages in. Then, more often than not, even if the pages are contorting their faces and screaming at you, for pity's sake, don't let them give up their day job. And I know that giving them constructive tit-bits may only encourage them to rearrange the deck chairs on the Titanic, when they really should be pushing women and children aside in the scramble for the last lifeboat. I plough painstakingly through the remainder to harvest exhibits supporting my hasty, but invariably correct conclusion.
0: And thank you, Bev. Every bit as good as I promised, I think. Um, now, straight to the genius stream. They've got a lot to say. EG starts, uh, raunchy and adventurous. Looking forward to it, I think. Uh, blurb's a mess, says Lex, but has great ideas. Uh, that blurb needs some work, says Barbara. Uh, Matt says, blurb needs to be recast as a simple story intro. Title's not doing it for me says Elaine. Claire says, extra comma, an opening sentence of, of that blurb through me. Yes, it threw me, actually, thinking about it. Yes, it did. It did. I, I think that's well observed. Um, title does not say sexy ex machina, says PJ. And Carol says, title's unusual, curious, doesn't grab me. I don't understand this, says James. Title blurb, is it just me? And he says, like the title, it's not suitable to this blurb, which is Randy. <laughs> Is, is, that, is that a good thing? I think I think that's a good thing. I don't think she's saying that in a disapproving way, uh, but I'm not sure. Uh, Matt says, disconnect between opening graph and story. Um, not the most hooky way to start, says Barbara too much telling. And <laughs> like, Martin likes the chatty tone. It is quite chatty, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Carol points out, what's an MD? Uh, Brit for managing director. In the US, it's medical doctor. I think that's always worth man- uh, bearing in mind. Uh, Two nations divided by a common language. Maybe, says Carol, maybe instead of the agent reading the submitted manuscript, not just the query, and having strong emotional reactions to it. Mm. Just talking about the premise is oh, one of the worst words we can use on pop-ups. Boring. dear. Oh, this coming out this week on the long distance lips phone gizmo, says Johnny. I don't know what the long distance lips phone gizmo is, but Johnny does, and he's going to tell us in a moment. Pamela Jo says, I'm not sure we need all these characters. Maybe just start with this spitting a coffee on the screen as she reads the AI blurb. And Matt says, yeah. again, not great. I'm drifting. I love nesting egg stories, but we're not getting that here. And I says, I'm not sure what to make of that. I didn't like the first few paragraphs, but then it got interesting. Martin says, Randy Robots would get some readers. And Earl A. Thomas says, the Randy Robot Reader. <laughs> But maybe that's not a serious title. P says PC Frontier says this is a bit of a slow start for me, almost like a fly on the wall documentary of a literary agency. Sorry, nothing really standing out for me. Did it, anything stand out for you, Raz?
2: Some of it. Um, I find the title seems a bit. Um non-fiction in some way and i think it'd be hard to remember it's one of those titles you know if you you think what's it called although i can see what she's getting at um Mm -hmm. i think it's an interesting concept um um, it's quite a a well worn concept in some ways the the book within a book that changes (laughs) the reader and uh doesn't mean it can't be done again and ai is a fresh topic um very hot topic at the moment um I liked the peppy style, but I felt that the dialogue got a bit expositional. Um, and I agree with the, the um, genius, can't remember which genius said it, but there seemed to be a few too many characters. I was g- getting a yeah. bit confused about who was saying what you probably only need two people in that office. Yeah, you probably And, do. and in fact, it's more likely you'd only have two people and the rest would be freelancers, yeah, um, right. yeah. because they, they wouldn't really have that many there. Um, and some of the dialogue is a bit too expositional. Um, consulting the internet to read out a piece on wiki about uncanny valley that's it's sort of a bit i think that all the fun of the 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 submissions and how they're they're also jaded could be could be kept but got to in a more active way
0: yeah i think that's that's a good idea actually strategically it's a good idea especially if you want to go the traditional publishing route because publishing is quite narcissistic and, you know, you you, you, you publish, see a submission about life in a publishing office, not real life, which is actually quite tedious, but, you know, fictionalised life, and they'll go, oh, yes, I don't want to read this. No, they won't. Publishers don't want to read it. But it's still, it'll get you through the door, that will. Um, robot shagging. Andy, is this something that we need to know more about?
3: Robot shagging? Yes. Do I really have to answer that? No. Um, I'm sure we're going to learn an awful lot about it as time progresses i guess i guess um, but getting back to i i quite like the title um i thought that was good I, again the, yeah the blurb is a mess i think you know you start in in this frame novel and then your next sentence is in this manuscript you need to ditch all that and just tell us what the story is about yeah. um as far as the is concerned I, I think there's some uh genuinely interesting ideas in here i think yes AI is very much one of the topics at the moment, and and again, and whether we can use AI to write a book. So, mm. so you are sort of playing with those concepts, and you've obviously been writing it for a while. So you got there, you know, earlier than a lot of people. So well done for that. But I struggled with this um, because for all the smarts in the ideas, your opening sentence was about and you know, I included a, a criminally neglected rubber plant, which is just so cliche, mm. Mm. and then your next part was about you know you being better qualified than than your colleague in an office and it's like well if you're going to do that i really need a good joke to go with it you know i just just some as icy as you like as cruel as you like but make it you know just make it a bit funnier so the voice just really didn't work for me um and yeah and and i just lost enthusiasm yeah yeah
0: i've got to say you're right um have we got Oh. But I guess I've managed true. to
2: vote. Well done. Yes. <laughs> I say, Johnny, good show. Is that r- robotic? I've been motion? enfranchised. Yeah, absolutely.
0: <laughs> Johnny says gizmo, sensory silicon lips for kissing people long distance. <laughs> I didn't know there were such things, and there shouldn't be such things, actually. Mm. It sounds awful. Oh, God. Um, do, you, do you think this is the genre of the future, Ross?
2: Well, which future? I mean, six months will be different again.
0: Yeah, that's the thing, actually, isn't it? Yeah, that's the thing. I think, I think... So
2: what you have to do, sorry, what you have to do is something like Ex Machina, which I love. I love Ex Machina because it it, it goes into more human ideas. So it takes the technology they've got that they can, um, they can predict at the time. And then it really
3: tells a human story. Yeah. There's something about films like Ex Machina that are so smart, and, and obviously, like novels, the same. And then Garland is, is you know, really clever at what he does. But he's sort of taking these highfalutin ideas, you know, he's throwing in kind of like big money uh, tech oligarchs in there and all sorts and Fantastic yeah. Islands. And then about halfway, it's like, yeah, but now it's a monster movie, you know, so yeah. let's just watch people up. And yeah. it's, you've got all the background there to make you just go with it, and it's great, interesting, fun.
0: I mean, people have been writing books about this for decades, of course. I mean, do you think we're a bit chat GPT'd out, Andy?
3: To, to be honest, I mean, we were doing a story on it this week and, and I've got some friends that are teachers and we're asking them exactly that that question about, you know, how is it going to affect kids' educations and, and things like that. Um, mm. I think it's a subject we need to be talking about, whether, as Roz is, is quite probably correct, where there'll be some other, you know, doom-laden disaster on our doorsteps in six months' time. Yeah. but um, but but you know it's it's an interesting topic and i think for a writer it's a really interesting topic to play with
0: good all right let's look at the numbers here i've got it. 55
3: 55
0: and i'm interested in that title margaret um it definitely hooked me to begin with but then i had second thoughts about it actually and what ros said i think is actually right in terms of um, is, it, is it actually going to stay with you? I don't think it's going to stay with you I think it's distinctive but I'm not sure it's that memorable so we've got a 55 hopefully our comments have been of some use to you let's have a look at the next submission and it's called Love, Joy and Latte's it's contemporary romance <coughs> excuse me, it's from someone or maybe, possibly, some people. I have read this. Um, called Harmony Noble. This is Harmony Noble's blurb. Well, an offensive sex cafe. I've only dimly heard of that, but apparently it is a thing. Oh, dear. Um, opens next door to Joy's dog friendly community coffee house. Joy fights to save her cafe and unwittingly saves her luckless to love life. And this enemies to lovers sweet romance. Enemies to lovers. Oh, I see in Seattle, yeah, slightly. Hmm, interesting. Let's, uh, let's find out about Harmony. We are a dynamic team, twin team from rural Alaska, living in the Pacific Northwest. We've owned and operated coffee shops in Washington, inspiring the Coffeehouse Romance series. Oh, I like that. Uh, Melody's stories are in two local anthologies, Harmony writes business and court documents. Friends label us oh. as socially aggressive <laughs> that's what your friends say right friends label us as socially aggressive <laughs> okay duly warned um and teachers say we talk too much well that's all right i don't mind that at all and i think you're go- you're going to like this reading i love you like about that i think you're going to love this reading actually from martin mm-hmm.
6: Love, Joy and Lattes by Harmony Read by Martin Chapter 1 Iced White Chocolate Mocha I clean, wiping the wet towel over the cafe table under the warm light of the assorted chandeliers to the beat of bringing sexy back, shimmying my hips to Justin Timberlake's silky voice. I must stay busy or my mind swirls with stress. I focus on Justin's voice, and dancing and cleaning my cafe, Joy's Coffee House. I sachet table to table, clearing ceramic mugs, straightening cosy chairs, sanitizing the mismatching wood surfaces to a reflective gloss, and wearing a silly smile, daydreaming about Dog's Master, my online friend who admitted to loving Justin Timberlake last night when we were messaging back and forth. I imagine his firm hands on my hips as I sway. I can't, just can't help myself. I have a hunky boyfriend, but something about Dogmaster feels special and sparks excitement in me. During our nightly messaging sessions, we discuss non-sexy subjects like our labradoodles, work, politics, and how much we love our little community. I can tell he would be a good dancer by his confidence. I'm lost in the fantasy. The bleachy smell from the wet cloth brings me back to reality. I look around the empty cafe, embarrassed to be fantasizing about my unconventional friend. My dancing euphoria fades, bringing my attention back to the task at hand, which happens to be cleaning my cafe's dining area. Luckily, years of working as a barista gave me the involuntary cleaning automation, which allows me to daydream and groove to this 90s retro music that I danced to at clubs in university. Really, I should change the streaming music back to the boring coffeehouse station or the electronic dance beats the baristas play in the cafe's background. But I am enjoying the pop sound of my glory days featuring Justin, Brittany and NSYNC. The baristas can change the station after I leave, as I'm sure they do, after my departure every morning. While my employees flirt and serve customers at the cafe counter, handing lattes out the drive-through window. I enjoy my daydream in the cafe's delightful ambiance: the retro music, the hodgepodge eclectic furniture from estate sales, local artists' work crowded on the walls, the tittering conversation of my socially adept baristas, and the smell of cinnamon and freshly roasted coffee beans. At the front counter, I hear my dog-walking customer Tiffany with her poodle Chi telling Tara, You baristas must be horrified to see those other baristas. Are you all going to follow suit wearing bikinis to work? Tiffany sweeps her arm at all the baristas, including me. What? I'm not a barista earning tips to pay for university. I'm the boss. And no, we will not be a sexpresso shop demeaning our baristas to sell coffee. We don't need gimmicks. We have stellar coffee and baked goods. I stop shimmy to the retro music and I consider yelling my thought to across the shop in response. I'm responsible for my college-aged employees, my cosy cafe, welcoming my community in this safe space to recharge with a sweet latte, or by sitting at a table with friends and enjoying a conversation while petting our cafe's mascot, Cocoa Puff, Joy's Coffee House, in a welcoming community space, not a strip club. No way! I like my customers too much to ruin them. If these military guys saw me in a bikini, I'd set the bar too high and their expectations could never be met. And no girlfriend can make coffee as good as mine, Tara quips back with a laugh. Tiffany joins her in her laughter and waves as she carries Chi-Chi on their dog walk to the park. I've seen Chi-Chi at the park. She's an indoor dog. Tiffany carries her through the entire dog park except to let her do her business. They both seem content in this alternate version of a morning dog walk. I glance at my fur baby, Coco Puff. Coco Puff is a cute extrovert with piles of brown curls and her enthusiastic full butt wagging at people.
0: (sighs) Okay, just got that image of a full butt in my head now. I'd like to get it out, but I'm not going to for a a few minutes at least. Um, Let's see what the genie eye is saying. Uh, uh, Blurb says Charles short and sweet Carol says like the title but is love lattes and joy better Mm, I I don't know I was was looking for a bit more alliteration there title made me smile says Claire don't like the title says LA sounds like non-fiction Short blurb gets the point across, though. Uh, Eva says, "Oh, love the premise of this blurb." And James says, "Love the author's catchy name. Is a good catchy name, isn't it? Good blurb," says Carol. Matt sort of title and blurb it can work with the right casting. Yeah, I can see the uh, the movie already. Could the song date it quickly? Says Claire. Title quite rom commy. Says Johnny. Well, that's, that's where it's sitting, isn't it? Not sure of doing cleaning, even if dancing to Justin Timberlake and in a charming coffee house is enough to hook readers at the get-go. Um, E.G. Logan, rom-commy? Yeah, it is rom-corny. Oh, okay, I get it? Yeah. Uh, labradoodles can be sexy, says James. <laughs> I don't know about that, James. I don't think I want to think about it, really. Matt says, being brought back to reality from a fantasy about Timberlake is not quite a hook. And PJ, good voice, needs to figure us out, it condense. Uh, too much telling in the opening. Um, Princess Leia, there's a reference to Princess Leia. I just don't get it at all, but that's it's not unusual for the, the genie I to be way over my head because they are not normal people. Uh, Martin says, relatable, betrayal, likeable protagonist, immersive setup, and good voice. Enjoyed reading this. And that's very important because Martin was our narrator. I've uh, got lots of good comments, so I can't read them all out, actually. Martin says, "I've got a full butt. It's great for watering the garden." <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> right, while I recover from that, All right? right.
2: Uh, I like the title. I thought it was very suitable for for this kind of fun, frothy, frothy. Yes, it's frothy. <laughs>
4: um,
2: the blurb sounds fun, but I would add in the threat that Joy faces um yeah and it doesn't say that you've got to have the question that she's going to be battling with why should she care why do we care um i like the fun of the chapter titles the white or whatever but i immediately think are oh, you going to have enough different ones for each chapter oh, the there are lots. Probably have probably you seen starbucks country. recently
0: i mean come on oh, okay but yeah. really
2: you might have 40 chapters
0: yeah so, <laughs> yeah it's true
2: um I otherwise I'm I wasn't really drawn in and I found a lot of it very expositional and a bit unconvincing and, and clumsy. And I think that there would be a stronger and more active way to set up the the threat, um, the thing that that's going to upset her life, which is really what this is going to be about. So yeah. I, I think it's starting in a very static place.
0: Yeah, it is a bit actually, isn't it? Yeah, we're working our way onto it. What did you think, Andy?
3: Um, I, uh, I didn't like the title. Um, I mean, I don't drink coffee and I know I'm literally out on the limb with that, but, but love joy and latte just, just read to me. So sort of obvious, although, mm. you know, you could also argue you're doing exactly what it says in the tin with it. Mm. Um, I, I kind of like the blurb though. It is it, sort of, it, it, I know because they're American, aren't they? But it's sort of read yeah. very British. I must say, I thought Martin read it wonderfully. Totally. Um, but it's Right. Sort of like, kind of, you know, jaunty English calendar girls kind of, kind of vibe to yeah, me. Yeah. Like, uh, like it really has. sashaying around with a yeah, mop and yeah, bleach yeah. to Justin Timberlake and things. Yeah. Um, yeah well, you had me at dog master. I, I thought, I love that. I thought, yeah, but then, and and I do wonder whether this is a first draft because it was dog's master. And then at the next paragraph down, it was dog master. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and, 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 I think I think what what Roz is saying sort of gets to is like, are, are we basically getting you know, reading your plot from a flashback, and that I'd say is a mistake. You know, mm. we want to be with you when you're when you're hitting this jeopardy point of them opening you know a, 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 a sexy Hooters you know coffee shop next door. We want to be with you when that happens, not having it in retrospect while you're cleaning the office, listening yeah. to Timberlake. You know i'd yeah. say yeah listen to like thinking about dog master who you've been chatting to online and I, I reckon he's a great dancer and you've also got a hunky boyfriend that's all good fun stuff and i was laughing there were some good lines in there yeah but I, I think, so think But I think you're wasting your concept by doing it in in flashback in that you
0: know, yeah i it's so true so true let's just see if Ross has got the numbers coming in yes they're working yeah the i've done the numbers well done. Yes. Oh, oh. You've let me just ask you about that. You've you've marked the bang very light. Why commercial potential?
2: Because I well, the bang I, for me is how it's being done. Um, I don't think right. it will go anywhere with an opening like that. Um, right. That doesn't mean you couldn't find a good opening for this concept. Uh, yeah, but it's it's it really need you really need to rethink what you're doing with the first chapter.
0: Yeah, I think, I, that's I think Andy good made advice. a great
2: point. You, the word jeopardy is really important, and he really
0: totally. hit the nail on the head Yeah, there. Yeah, I mean, this, you know, we're fairly familiar in a way, aren't we? I mean, we, you know, we've seen this in one guise or another, and why not, you know? Why not do it like this? I've hardly, hardly heard about Sexpresso, and I wish I hadn't, really. PC Frontier says, I did not <coughs> feel the start had much of a hook for the reader, a bit dull. I agree with Matt. I suggest the author starts with conflict, just what Roz is saying, or perhaps a romantic mm. meeting, and Johnny says, can I have another white chop mocker, please? Um, and Martin who totally is on fire tonight uh, says they could have a bikini club baristas barging into Joy's cafe or something like that um Elliot Thomas has got a new title sex press no sex press no sure <laughs> that's, it's a bit complicated isn't it um why the wouldn't personally. put sex
2: in the title you would get into trouble
0: <laughs> it's possible yeah it's possible okay um I'm not oh, surely I'm more than 43 oh no oh well, that's because I haven't bloody voted. Can you believe it? <laughs> Can you believe it? What what a, what an idiot! Really, all right.
2: More th- coffee th- for Peter.
0: There we go. There you got a Sixty-one, and I think you could do a lot more actually, because I think there is major potential for this. Um, and just just you know, just go back two three minutes, freeze time, what the genie I've been saying, and uh, you've got you've got something very commercial on your hands here. I'm completely sure of it, but it's not the right place to to start. And before we have a look at our last submission of the day, I want to talk to both of you about a subject that is very close to every writer's heart, especially people who are, you know, on the bandwagon trying to get their first book published, trying to get the attention of people like agents and publishers and so on, which is confidence. It's all about being a confident writer. And when you get serious about writing, you get so much advice from so many different people, especially on the internet, and your confidence sort of drops a bit, gets saps a bit and gets lower and lower and you start to lose your voice and you start to think writing is all about ticking boxes. And by the time, you know, you've been through that for a year or two, you're just feeling really low about things. So I'd like to ask both of you because you both do operate in an interesting area where confidence is actually all important. So what advice, Roz, let's start with you first. What advice would you give to, you know, aspiring writers in that situation?
2: Well, first of all, I would say this is a recognisable arc that we all go through. We start off doing our own thing in private, then we let it out. We find lots of other people are doing it. We're deluged with advice. We find there are right ways and wrong ways and loads of different variations of them. And we try lots of different things that possibly suit us, possibly don't. And we end up thinking, I've now lost my way. I don't know who I am anymore. And then gradually you come out of it because you gradually start thinking, wait a minute, this feels like me, and this feels like me, and that isn't me, so I won't do any more of that. Mm. So if you're in that stage, carry on, you will come out.
0: Stick at it, because it can be very dispiriting, mm. actually, can't it? But so, okay, that's that's very good advice. And Andy, you, you appear on, on national television, um, live sometimes, millions of people looking at you. Uh, millions of people could not do what you do because they don't have the confidence to do it, so... You must have some good...
3: Only do I half the time, to be honest. Um, I mean, that, that, like that. That, that particular element of it, doing, doing lives, um, I used to really struggle with. I, I was petrified, to be honest. And, and ultimately, my, I figured my way through it by just watching other people do it. And it, huh. it might, sometimes you do stories where there's a lot of media um, and you can be there and you can watch the guys that do like 24-hour news and they're literally like live. You know, consistently, Um, and and I I watched how they did it, and I watched how some of my colleagues did it, and it just seemed that everybody did it a little bit differently. So in the end, I just figured out a way that worked comfortably for me, and then and it is exactly as as Ross says, and exactly the same in writing. You just, you know, hopefully you're just going to get better at at the time. When did you You know?
0: When did you know that you were you were okay doing
3: it? Uh, Probably, probably when my peers told me that was good to be honest. Uh-huh. And, and I do think in so many walks of life, you know, if you look at yeah. footballers, sometimes like you can tell their confidence players, they need someone to say to them, actually, that was really good. Go and do it again. And then you start to, to build that up, but yeah. you can't be telling yeah. yourself, you can't be beating yourself up for not being perfect at it straight away. Ultimately life in my, well, in my book is about growth and you want to be, you want to be looking back at something you did six months ago, comparing it to something you did today and preferring what you did today because you're still progressing, you're still getting better, yeah. and and I think you've got to get that monkey off your back with writing and and get just just cut yourself that same slack, you yeah. know. Um, and and you look, I mean, yeah, if you look at bands, particularly most most bands do their most popular work in their their first couple of albums. They'll yeah. probably feel like you know six albums down the line they're doing their best work ever, but we've all we've all moved on, and there's something about just getting. Getting talent, well, there is sometimes a bit raw and a bit unfiltered, yeah. and 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 with all the without all the degrees of noise that they have, and getting that stuff down the paper, that is valuable, and people, you know, people flock to. So so just yeah. just just give it. A-
0: yeah, writers tend to be a bit on the introverted scale. In any case, don't they, Rods? I mean, is is that a handicap as well? Do you think?
2: It is, but it's also our superpower because we think more deeply about things. And also we can revise. I can write a sentence that's complete rubbish and then I can go back and think, there's something in this that's got life, so let me refine it and make it what I really wanted to say. And often in the refining you find something even better. So we have second chances that Andy doesn't have if he's talking live to a camera. So really embrace this and embrace the fact that you've you've also got a, a little inner Um, voice that's saying this could be better this could be better Um, Mm. keep going and keep noticing what really appeals to you Um, every time you get a piece of advice try the new thing that they're suggesting and then think is that closer to what i feel it should be and Mm. it it might be neither one thing or another but sometimes you'll find something you think ah now what that person has said really works
0: so if somebody somebody uh thinks okay i'll follow Roger's advice for two or three months." And then it all kind of goes in <laughs> shape, and they then they want to stop. I mean, what's is is it is it a long game? How long should they do this for?
2: It is a long game. Writing a book is a long game, um, and discovering how to do all the things that writers do, to, that good writing does to people, and we also all have our. Um, our unique strengths so we all start off being able to do some things really well and we have to yeah. learn loads of others and that's different for everybody and um different teachers can recognize different things yeah. different teachers can can bring different things out of people um i've just finished a developmental report where the um a lot of the writing was um was very rough but i could see that there were some things she'd done really well so i said right you have um, envisaged a really rich world that will have a lot in it so i'm yeah. going to throw some ideas at you for how you could bring it out and make the novel you described to me you wanted to yeah. write and then if you disagree with any of that that's just as good as if you agree with it because you'll discover more about what you want to be at the end of the day you have to discover how to be you but you discover it by you know like a teenage Teenage fashions—you find what fits, what looks dreadful, and you should never have done—and yeah. just grow.
0: Yeah, wow, that's very encouraging. I, I feel I, I feel quite illuminated by that. Um, thank you, thank you, very much We if, you want
3: to uh, encourage you, mate. Oh,
0: thank We want you, you. to be better too. <laughs> we want Make you to be the best person you can oh, be. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> <sighs> Uh, do you think we should look at another submission or just carry on in this orgy of self-congratulation? Thank you very much, Genius Dream, as well. You made some great comments on this. We do have one more submission, which is from Alison. Not Ali, our but a different Alison. This contemporary fiction is called Fire. One-word title. <gasps> yes. Nick likes those. Oh, publisher. I'll publish it. Nick likes one-word titles. Laura eased into the flip-flops, shoes that hurt her feet, at least, and gently took each stair at a time. The physical therapist had helped her devise a dog leash that Laura could wear like a sash, rather than hold in her singed hands. It'll be fine. I think that's fine, it's fine, but I'm going to treat that as a typo. It'll be fine, the therapist had said. The air is healing." The dog was already by the door, glaring at the door handle. Even he seemed to avert his eyes from Laura. As it, he, too, as if... As if, come on, let's get this right. Oh, two typos in the blurb. Oh, please. I'm going to have to mark you down for that. As if he, too, blamed her for the fire. A house burnt to the ground. A family destroyed. Okay, well, we got the end I'm sorry, I'm going to have to give you bad marks for that. Um, Alison Langley has reported as a foreign correspondent from datelines across Europe. Her stories have appeared in publications that include the New York Times, Guardian, Financial Times, Independent, Deutsche Welle, and the Columbia Journalism Review. She was a stringer in Budapest for the Wall Street Journal Europe from 1990 to 1994, where her novel Ilona Gets a Phone takes place. Uh, the book was a finalist. The Irish Writers sent a novel prize, 2022. It will be published by Daedalus Books UK in November. Her short story, Fingers, in one word, you like one word titles, don't you? Yes. Uh, <laughs> appeared in the 2022 edition of The Pigs Back. Okay. No more pigs on this show, actually. Nah. Uh, Langley lives in Switzerland with her husband and their dog. When she isn't writing, she gardens, hunts fungi and eats them. <laughs> It's not very funny about that, you fungi to you. Uh, <laughs> right, you truffle hunter. Um, I think you'll be very, uh, very pleased indeed uh, from this reading from the person who actually is in charge of our wonderful team of narrators, which, of course, you can read more about. Shall I just put the card on? I think it's this one. No, it's not. Dang. it's this one never mind that was the free video on YouTube because we get a lot of proposals I'll put that back again actually just look in the um, you know the uh, uh, Litopia channel you'll see about a 20 minute video about all the common mistakes that people make and it's free what's wrong with that but no uh, it's voice.litopia.com you can see our team there you can actually see Emily there too and what's more you're going to hear her right now
7: Fire by Alison. Read by Emily. April. Laura pulled on a new pair of shorts, one with an elastic waistband, careful that each leg avoided the blisters on the tops of her feet. Then she laboriously slotted each bandaged arm into a T-shirt, like the physical therapist had shown her, grimacing as the lightweight material skidded over her raw, flaking cheeks before gliding down her torso. She eased her way to the bathroom for her morning pain pills and water, even swallowing hurt before taking a deep breath and tackling her jacket. In spite of all the pills, opiates which her doctor and mother had warned her could be addictive, and she secretly hoped were, she was in constant pain. Not just from the sting of burns in the skin grafts, but from the ceaseless throb that accompanied simply being awake and the agony of sleep when it came. she had slept little and poorly for days. Her dreams, too vivid to allow rest. Every morning she'd wake with a headache, the taste of sulphur, burnt plastic and metal in her mouth, the smell of scorched electrical wires, singed hair and seared flesh in her nose. She heard urgent loud barking from the dog, although he lay asleep at the foot of the bed, and she always woke in a panic, jolted from the scream emitting from the scenes in her brain. She felt that jerk that accompanies forward motion, stopped short by a sudden, blunt force of unbearable heat. The past few weeks had been chaotic and slow at once. Muted hospital sounds mixed with beeps from a machine and clatter of some metal table being wheeled past her door. Embarrassed, furtive glances from orderlies bringing meals she failed to eat. Cheery voices from nurses washing her hair or dabbing a washcloth under her armpits, averting their eyes from her swollen cheeks and missing eyebrows. She came to know them not from their names, which were pinned to their breasts, but by the way they spoke to her, looked at her, or didn't, as the case may be. They had politely made themselves scarce when the police of Fire Marshal arrived to ask their persistent questions. Laura tried her best to piece the broken mirror of her memory back together. But the shards were many, and trodden on the ground, all attempts to rescue both house and recollections futile. Laura had been grateful when Father Mark came to murmur prayers and ask her, How are you doing? Everyone, her parents, Jennifer, Emma, the doctor's nurses, asked her, How are you doing? Except Tom. He is never asked. He seemed to be as shattered as the broken glass from the front door that had been axed through. He stoops and walks in a daze, teary, quivery, as unable to be comforted as to comfort. She tries to be quiet as she dressed, even though she guessed Tom was already awake. She didn't want to talk with him. She suspected he didn't want to talk with her either. They had rarely spoken more than the few necessary, perfunctory sentences to get through their days, as if the air required to speak had been consumed in the blaze. Laura envied Tom, not just because body was untouched, his face was not disfigured, but because he had the solace of work to give structure to his day. Of course, her days were meant to be spent healing. A ridiculous concept. She was covered in pain she was certain would never leave. It's not possible to recover from grief. From her window those past few days she could see a happy neighbourhood had sprung to life. Hope had arrived with the incoming buds, returning birds, new lime green leaves, not yet big enough to hide the brown-grey branches of the skeleton tree in the front yard. Kids whizzed by on bicycles and skateboards, voices yelling to wait up, others urging to slow down. Joggers panted past the house in bright neon shirts. Cats sauntered by just to annoy the dog who stared hopefully out the window thumping his tail expectantly at any child who neared the front walk. Yeah.
0: Wow, it was miles away there, actually. Um, in a good way, actually, in the manuscript itself, Let's see what people are saying. No, they're not people. They're not people! They're genii! Eva says, so what's the story? A house catching fire? That is a kind of criticism of the blurb. Most of the blurb says Claire felt like an extract from the novel. Um, Carol says blurb's more like an excerpt from the story. exactly the same thing. Genius often do this. They just get it right first time. Um, Blurb's more like an excerpt from the story um, than a blurb. Not clear what the whole story's about. Fire as a title, not setting it alight, says Johnny. And excuse the, the pun, but I agree. L.A. Thomas, I don't think it could be classed as a blurb. Um, But Matt says, blurb concept is interesting. Um, Nice writing, Carol. Good description, sensory details. Also, some sharing of Laura's internal experience evocative. PJ, I'm sorry, it's not going to hook me. I probably have to start before the fire uh, to care enough to plow through this. And uh, Matt says, there's a nice undertone here. Uh, A bit of mystery. Um, It does go on too much about her ailments, says Eva. I might writing solid, too much summary rather than one engaging scene. Good craft here, says Johnny. One or two people are saying that. Emily, of course, our narrator. I thought this had great writing and observations and tension. I'd read on. Uh, Carol says, in a hospital burns unit, or burns are commonly treated, aren't the nurses trained to not look away or be awkward and embarrassed at seeing the victims? Hooks are strong doesn't matter what happened, who died, why. Carol says, I badly burned the palm of my hand last year and was really surprised by how long the blisters lasted because there's a little sub-discussion guy on there that I didn't tell you about about blisters. But you can read about it if you uh, freeze frame. And, yeah, um, finally, L.A. says, if she lost a child in the fire, she would be consumed by thoughts of them. (laughs) Certainly would be. Ros?
2: Well, yes, I thought the writing was very strong and the century details... um... And waking with the smells those are unexpected things and uh, they surprise us and, and pull us into the narrative more i was wondering also about the nurses in the burns unit although yeah. I, I think that's a really smart way to describe them i think in reality they would be completely used to it and they would be careful not to let a patient think that they had this reaction to them um I was wondering where it would go. And mm. I th- I was thinking with the blurb, I needed something to tell me what this arc would be, what the bigger problem is that, that this character is trying to work through. Um, and we have no idea of where this is going. So there are a lot of ways that you could take a story about somebody who's been in a fire. You know, the, there's the personal essay idea of how they're going to just adjust to little life mm. things. Or there's a big question that they overcome and we have no clue about that and um the title i think is not doing any no. favors because it's quite like a thriller um yeah. and it needs to have a, i think it needs to be a, a more poetic title because it seems to be a more interior kind of journey so it's uh, really good material here good writing very vivid but now i think it's it, it's spinning its wheels and it needs to have yeah. more direction.
0: You can't do that right at the beginning. Um, and uh, Matt says, I've reported on people recovering from severe burns. This got that sense across. And Pamela Jo, she could notice the more over-careful non-reaction on the nurses. Maybe you do, to show that, yeah. Maybe.
3: What did you think, Andy? Um, I saw all about your blurb. Your blurb so let you down. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, because I, I, did, I, mean, I, I didn't actually want to like this after the blurb because... Yes, it's like you didn't bother a bit, um, and then and then the opening couple of parts, like the pain, all the pain, the pain's like, oh, dude, how much mm. do I need to care? Am I going to care? But I have to say, I thought your writing was so good. I thought, mm. you know, as it went on, I was like, do you know what? This is probably the best writing we've we've had we've had all night. I thought it was beautifully realised. Mm. Um, yeah, great craft, beautifully read by Emily, um, and, and so so yeah. I don't think your title's really doing much because. You know like we could go anywhere from there the blurb didn't give, give us anything if, if, we, if you gave us a blurb with a bit with what the hook was you know we, we'd know more obviously it's you've got an emotional involvement with us already the brother the family that kind of thing i just need to know what this story is about and, and unfortunately yeah. because we didn't get a blurb i don't know what your story is about already we don't, but what I think is great
0: yeah i don't know where it's going I mean, I think we all we all sense there's some some real potential there. We all sense there's some uh, good, pretty good writing going. I didn't care very much about our protagonist. Did did you, Ross?
2: Not really, because interested. I don't know where it's going to go. Yeah. Um, the, if we're just dwelling in the moment, wow. there wasn't really enough.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We want, we want to like this more. I mean, you know, sometimes, unfortunately, you've got to be very hard-headed in and, and the business aspect of publishing. You've just got to judge things purely and simply on what, what you see in front of you rather than what the potential is. Matt's got a very good idea, I think. He says, single word title instead of our yeah. Burned. I like that. That works for me. Better, actually. Mm. There you go. You've got, you got a free title there, Nelson. Uh, let's, let's look at the numbers. I think it's going to be a very mixed bunch here, actually, isn't it? Yeah, title's low, um, blurb is pretty bad. Um craft is excellent. So tag. You've got you've got a 57 there. Um with potential to go much higher, I think. Um and you Know, I mean, give yourself a pat on the. I was, I was one thing I was going to say when we were discussing confidence. Oh, you've got 56 now. Sorry, <laughs> that happens sometimes. He laughs. Uh, it's gone to 56 because we had more people fighting in the genius room. What I was going to sort of say actually was that so often, you know, especially when you're you're learning writing or the craft, um, the critiques you get are just, all criticism actually, they're all, all negative. This isn't working, that's not working, that's not good, this isn't good. And I realised some years ago that's all I was doing actually when I was reacting to people's manuscripts. So I do actually try now to actually point out what works, and so I think it's quite important to take away those those lessons, Alison. Don't sort of you know discount them, um, and we we do think there's some very good writing going on here. So you have got a fifty-six, like it's less than the scorecard of the day. Oh, Say, it's Jasmine, isn't it?
4: It's
0: Jasmine. Let's use Jasmine. Yes. Wild light fantasy. Ooh, not there. Congratulations, Jasmine. Wherever you are, in your camper van, having fun, your large doodle dogs, as a, a travelling ultrasonographer. As you see, you live and learn, As You live and learn. Well done, and well done too to our fabulous guests. Final look at them today. Yes. Thank you, guys. How's it been for you today?
2: This is a really me. good writing we've had today. Yeah, yeah,
0: that was great. Yeah. And I have to say, actually, both of your advice on confidence has been incredibly appreciated by the Genius Room. Um, you know, I haven't read out the comments, but I don't know if you've even seen them actually, but they really appreciated What you had to say, and I think that's very important. You made a difference, guys, today. Isn't that great? You made a difference. (laughs) And hopefully, we'll carry on making a difference, same time next week. See you then.